Hey, welcome to the Loftus Party. Hola, chicas. Hola, amigos. You have found it. It's the uh, the coolest little show on the internet. It's the Loftus Party. We have more fun because we're right. Boom! I got the motto out there right out of the gate. Joining me this week, we got a huge show. Uh, once again, we've got Stacy Lennox uh, joining us. Stacy, say hello. Hello. And we've got Andrew Apple from from Los Angeles. A Los Angeles hello to you, Michael. A Los Angeles. That would be the Ola. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I live right next to Koreatown, so I believe that would be uh, Anyang. Anyang, Koreatown. Now, is that is that the official Korean greeting, or is that what the prostitutes say when, <laughs> when you approach them? Anyang. No, no, no. You're thinking hey. of the transsexual prostitutes over in West Hollywood, Michael. That's a few miles away. Oh, there away. you go. The ones, the ones made uh, infamous in that Weezer song. Beverly Hills, that's where I want to be. No, no, no. Um... Oh, there's another song that Weezer wrote about the, uh, the the prostitutes on Santa Monica Boulevard. Anyway, we have already digressed. That's a new that's a new record for the Loftus Party. We have digressed right out of the gate. We've got a huge show. Guess what's going to happen this week, you guys? What's going to happen? What? Michael Steele is going to be joining us uh, in a little bit. Michael Steele, the former head of the uh, Republican uh, Party. Uh, Reince Priebus has the job now. But uh, we met Michael when we interviewed him for the Flipside television show, which is going great, by the way. The Flipside is crushing it on U2 America. You got to watch the show. Um, you know what? I'm going to walk people through this. Here's the deal. Uh, the Flipside is a television show. We kind of make fun of any goofball in politics. I like to go after the liberals because I think they're the biggest goofballs of all. But we will uh, hit the goofballs on the right as well. We are we are uh, an equal opportunity employer. So that shows in syndication. So what I wanted was a way to do jokes and and talk about things that happened like right as they happened, like the week in politics. And that's where this podcast came from. That's how this show started. So we have Michael Steele on this week. There's a lot of news to cover. Time is of the essence. I hate the podcasts that just uh that are just slow and people like I was on the road doing stand up and this funny thing happened. That's not what we're going to do here. So let us jump into uh, the news, the big stories of the week. Let's talk about uh, everybody's calling Donald Trump a, a flip flopper on his immigration policy. And I say bullshit. I say bullshit. It's not a flip flop. It's actually the humane thing. Here's what I find funny about it. Donald Trump is like, I'm going to put together when he said this, uh, like way on during the primary primaries where he's like, I'm going to put together a, uh, a, a like a police force that's going to throw these people out of the country. I was terrified. Right. That terrified me. I don't think anybody should be putting together special police forces and just roaming around the country saying, uh, where are your papers? Your papers are not in order. So I'm actually cool with this. If people have been living here for years and years and years, and they have families, and they haven't broken uh, a bunch of laws, they get to stay. We got to throw out the people that are in here uh, breaking laws. What say you, Stacy Lennox? Well, I say this. The problem that I have with the evolution is not the outcome, because that's what Marco Rubio said. That's what Jeb Bush said. That's what Carly Fiorina said. That's what Ben Carson said. The problem that occurred during the primary was that anything short of deporting 12 million people was considered amnesty. And unfortunately for Donald Trump, because of that rhetoric, a lot of his core supporters became very angry. 
And now he has gone back to saying, yes, they're going to leave. <laughs> so there was a flip, there was a flop, and there was a flip back. But we predicted that on this podcast before you came on, Stacey. I mean, we were saying from the beginning, when you get to the general, you have to soften your stance. Soften is the word that everyone really seems to be enjoying using. That was actually Donald's word when he was doing the town hall. Correct. Well, like it's it's like when uh, during the uh, the uh, the the Republican primary was going on, uh, Kasich like nailed it. Kasich nailed it. He's like, do mm-hmm. we really think? Do we really think you're gonna you know g- get busloads of people and have cops throwing 11 million people out of the country? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, and no reasonable person did, but there is a contingent of people who heavily supported Trump during the primary. I mean, even Ann Coulter in her latest book said Donald Trump could do anything except change his stance on immigration, which included the deportation force. She actually had a little meltdown after he did his softening. Boo, she didn't. What was her meltdown? I love that when people say Ann Coulter had a meltdown. She started tweeting out. He said things on, I think it was Sean Hannity's show. Oh, well, doing this would be really hard. And she's tweeting out, oh, yeah, because it's hard. You just shouldn't do it, I guess. I mean, she was being pretty caustic about the change that he was articulating. Well, I think so. I think meltdown is a is a a bit uh, of a big word for that. I don't think it was a meltdown. Hey, I tell you what, if uh, now you've got two camps here. And I can mm-hmm. see both sides. If you break into the country, you've already broken a law, so you have to go home, right? Agree. However, I think we start with the worst of the worst. Like, no more amnesty cities. And if uh, if somebody is in the country illegally and they uh, steal a six-pack of beer from a convenience store and a cop gets them, they go. They got to go. They got totally. to go. Totally support that. And in general, so did every Republican candidate. I think the problem, again, becomes because of the rhetoric that was used during the primary. I mean, this is not just this isn't a slight change. This is like coming back to earth for sure. I mean, we all like you said, John Kasich nailed it. So did Marco Rubio and so did Ted Cruz. He's never going to deport 12 million people. You but know, a what? lot of people didn't, didn't listen it to didn't that. It didn't feel like it. It didn't feel like it. When Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio were on stage going, well, I, I, I don't support and I'm amnesty and this and, and we're going to have back taxes. It didn't feel like they meant it. And I think that's what people responded to to Donald Trump. It's like he wasn't just saying the, the polite, nice words. He's like, they got to go. And that's what I respond to. And I get that, but the the actual words that were used in stated policies is that people to stay would have to require pass through a criminal background check, which is what Trump now said, pay fines, which Trump also said, learn English, which Trump didn't say, obtain a provisional work permit, work, not receive government assistance, and over an extended period of time can obtain legal status, which does not mean citizenship, it means residency. Any plan to address the status of illegal immigrants must be accompanied by a robust strategy to improve border security. That was Jeb Bush's stated plan on his website. That is everything Donald Trump said with some additions. Okay, but it never so, it never got so over we can the count, deportation force. So now we can count on the support of the uh, Jeb Bush people and we can count on the support of the Marco Rubio people, yeah? Well, yeah, but Michael, also you you've got people who are butthurt because 
now Donald Trump is taking their candidate's stance, and they wanted their candidate. So it's not an immediate thing, especially because some people still don't respond to the way in which he's saying it. Yeah, see, there's and some and people that just don't is, believe him. Andrew, oh, here's the deal, and 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 this might have been way back in the early days of the Loftus Party when, like. I dissected what's up with Donald Trump. What's up with the DT man? Here's the deal. Uh, in a business negotiation, like, and I learned this from doing stand-up comedy and negotiating my rates for an appearance. You start off huge, and then as you find out that that's not doable, you kind of walk it back. People go, hey, Michael, we want you to do a corporate show. How much does that cost? Well, it costs a million dollars. Well, I don't have a million dollars. Well, if you want a great show, it's going to be a million bucks. Well, how about how about uh, like 50,000? Okay, I guess I could give you my one-time rate. So I didn't flip-flop. What I did was I asked for way more than I, I wanted, and then I appeared to be a, a, a giving, generous soul and like look at the discount rate. And by, by the way, uh, those numbers are greatly inflated. <laughs> well, and I, I don't disagree. I've with never you. got fifty thousand dollars for a stand-up gig yet. I don't yet. Yet, thank you. I don't disagree with you about the tenets of negotiations. I did union negotiations for a living. Yeah, we ask for the moon, and we accept something significantly less than that. Don't but you think that's what Donald Trump is doing in I everything? Think, I in think everything. I think he picked some very emotional issues, especially for his core. When you look at middle class Americans who may not be college educated, and I mean, this has been written up all over the place, who are looking at him to bring back this economic boom that you saw in the 60s and 70s with, you know, some of the same industries, which, oh, by the way, is not going to happen, um, you know, they believe illegal immigration has hurt them. It and has. It has. Illegal immigration for different reasons, for different reasons. Now, if some if, if some Yahoo in the middle of uh, nowhere, Tennessee, thinks that uh, stopping Ill illegal immigration is going to get him his job back working on the steam engine, I'm fucking fine with that. But here's the real deal. It is affecting our republic. It's affecting our democracy. We simply are being flooded with Democrats, and that's where I'm with Ann Coulter on this. That's why mm -hmm. I that's why I really dig Ann. It is one issue. We've got to stop. We we have to uh, support the laws that are already on the books to save our democracy. Otherwise, it's game over. We'll never win another election again. I totally agree with that perspective, but in reference to what happened in the week in news and why it was covered so heavily is because of that emotionally charged issue. And again, having worked in employment for a lot of years, um, most manufacturing companies do not hire illegal immigrants knowingly because ICE is ICE, despite the fact that we think everybody just comes over the border with no repercussions has upped the number of audits they've done of large companies over the last 10 years to ridiculous levels. You better have documentation that this person has the right to work in this country. Um, but because of the emotional nature of the issue, it really caused a reaction on both sides. So from somebody like me that says, yeah, what I read to you, be it Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, if it was a Democrat that said that, I'd say that sounds reasonable to me. <laughs> Right. That sounds yeah. like a reasonable policy about how to deal with the people who are here. Um, 
you know, but because a lot of people don't see that as a reasonable policy because they're angry or because they feel this has cost them their job, it caused a lot of backlash. And that's why you saw it in the news. I mean, and I, and I think it will continue to be in the news. He says he's releasing a new immigration policy next week. That's what his surrogates have said, you know, Giuliani um, mm-hmm. sessions, et cetera. I'm, I'll be interested to see what it says because he's had one out there for a very long time. Well, I just I just love I mean, it's just so apparent to me that the walking papers from the Democratic uh, National Committee and the talking points that they put out or ooh, Donald Trump's a flip flopper. He's a flip flopper. He's a flip flopper. And just to watch uh, fairly intelligent people on the right, like jump on that. It just saddens me. It, it really I can't say this enough. Uh, I am not offended by what Donald Trump said. I am offended by what Hillary Clinton does. Like these, these uh, God bless them. I, I know what it's like to be full of like uh, self righteousness and and righteous anger and look at me. But uh, there's so many people just like on the right, just actively going after Donald Trump. Okay, I told you he was a flip flopper. I told you he was a flip flopper. Now I'm right. Woohoo! Ted Cruz, baby. Ted Cruz. Like, how does that help us? How does that help the nation? Okay, that's wonderful. Ted Cruz is awesome. I know people who work for Ted Cruz. I like Ted Cruz. His name isn't on the ballot, you tool. No, and and I think I think that for a lot of the people you see that are out in um, social media, at the activist level, etc., the primary was a very emotional thing. Um, I'm not saying it's helpful. I'm just kind of looking at it from the way it unfolded. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's good for the Republican Party. I'm not. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying it's kind of the way it is. And I think Donald Trump really could have benefited himself rather than just kind of pitching this softball out on Hannity without any details. If he was really going to move back from the position he had held during the primaries to come out with a very well articulated a policy. This is what's going to happen if I'm elected. Michael, you've done it. Don't just tell me what you're going to (laughs) do. That's really important when you're running for office and why. And I think those two things really could have killed that entire conversation. But also, Stacey, I mean, that's not Donald Trump's M.O. It's like in, in a lot of ways, a lot of what he does is similar to what Stephen Colbert claimed he was going to do on his first episode. And yes, I know that was a caricature, but Donald Trump likes to feel what he feels and then share it with everyone. And that's why everyone has such a visceral response to him, because there's a lot of energy behind it. And that's why low energy Jeb resonated with so many on this and I, I guess this is the new term, alt-right. No, that's not a term that I identify with at all. I love the alt-right. No, you don't. Go read their yeah, I journals. Sure no, I sure you do. I sure don't. I gave it. I do. I do. And here's why. Because it is an alternative to the way things have been done on the right before. I am ready for a new way. That's what the loftiest party is all about. I am tired of old, fat, white guys in suits telling me what I need to believe. Now, uh, there are some unsavory characters uh, in the alt-right. I'm not going to let them own that movement. I'm not going to let those people. Like, listen, nobody is the boss of me. That's how I believe. So, 
when I'm when I'm when this whole alt right thing started going down, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, I uh, I consider myself one of Ann Coulter's friends. I've had her on the flip side a couple times. I agree with a lot of the stuff that she says. Uh, I'm not down with uh, people being banned from Twitter like like Milo. And I tell you what, Milo was refreshing to me. It is refreshing to see somebody be conservative and be into liberty and own their own sexuality and do their thing. That, to me, is what alt-right means. And I'm not going to let alt-right get hijacked by Hillary fucking Clinton by saying it's a bunch of racists. That is horseshit. She does not get to define who I am. Radix Journal actually coined the term. Radix Journal is absolutely a white supremacist website. Um, I believe in everything you believe in, Michael, capitalism, free markets, individual liberty, etc. What the alt-right has traditionally preached against is misogyny, which is a com- combination of the races, and you know, interbreeding or misogyny? adopting people. Misogyny, you mean? No. No, no. Miscegenation. M- yeah, misogyny. That means someone with dark skin having a baby with someone with white skin. Uh-oh, they're That's not going to like okay. some of my friends. <laughs> they're not okay, according to the people who write these journals. So I have no problem with the things you, as Michael Loftus, are putting out there, but they are very inconsistent. They are collectivist. They do not believe in classical liberal values. They think the Bill of Rights is antiquated. I think it's wonderful. You know, I believe Ann Coulter thinks the Bill of Rights is wonderful. I believe Milo thinks the Bill of Rights is wonderful. They've yeah. become... They've become sort of beacons of this movement because of their support for Donald Trump, and the alt-right really gravitated towards him because of his stance on immigration. Well, you know who I'm into? Who's that? The people on the alt-right. The people on the alt-right who look like they're having fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't uh, do the follow back on the racist people. I've had some of that. I've had some people tweet uh, Lipside Loftus uh, stuff about how the you know, the Jews have a weather machine and all that. <laughs> yeah. No. I, I can assure you we do not have any sort of weather machine. No. And you, God, you have to say that because you're a Jew. I guess. <laughs> you're hiding it, Andrew. Sorry. Nope. No weather machine. See, Sorry. This, see, that's what I love about it. That's what I love about it. Like somebody, I don't know who it is. I should give them credit. When when uh, when Hillary Clinton was doing her speech about how horrifying uh, the alt right is and how Donald Trump and if you support Donald Trump, you're a member of this thing like they put together this clip and all it was was just Hillary saying like, you know, white supremacy, white power, David Duke, blah, blah. And it was so funny. I was in my apartment here in Long Island. I was I watched it like 50 times and I was crying. I was laughing so hard. And if like to me, that's what the alt right is like. We are going to make fun of you. You are so ridiculous. It's so absurd. And my my tweet about that was somebody needs to put a beat underneath underneath this thing. I mean, it was it was that funny. I've got it right here, actually, Michael. Prejudice, hate groups, a radical fringe, profoundly dangerous, systemic racism, sinister, hateful racial discrimination, dark conspiracy theories, racist, racist, bigotry, racist, white supremacists, white genocide, fringe bigot, anti-Semitic white supremacist, white national 
nationalist grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, hate groups, racist 9-11 attacks, paranoid 9-11, dark bigotry, prejudice, right-wing, the extremist fringe, racist and racist, hardline, right-wing nationalism, right-wing extreme nationalism, Vladimir Putin. When she says Vladimir Putin, white supremacist. Just rhythmically, it's like da 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 da, da 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 da, da 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 da, Vladimir Putin. That just cracked me up. I don't know why. Just rhythmically, Vladimir Putin. And we should give it up to uh, Demarcus Owens at Nubian Awakening for cutting that together. Yeah, that that I was uh, literally. I, I I'm I'm not. This is uh not an exaggeration. I watched that thing easily ten times. And I was crying every time she said Vladimir Putin. Yeah, I find it and like the irony for rhythmically blah blah blah. But the irony of her giving a speech about how there's this movement that's all based in uh, conspiracy theories, right? Yes. This movement is all a giant conspiracy theory. And you know who's behind this conspiracy theory movement? Vladimir Putin. <laughs> it's like. My conspiracy theory is better than your conspiracy theory. It was hysterical. Well, and here's what I said yesterday, and this is how I honestly feel. I'm really, I'm really tired of the game. Who's the bigger racist? Um, I've seen that for the couple days. I'm, I'm just done with it. Um, I could certainly, certainly, certainly have some serious objections to um, certain points in Hillary Clinton's speech. Um, however... However, my fundamental belief is this. Donald Trump has this nasty core of people who do things like tweet a picture of a black baby to Ben Shapiro and said, so the one your wife birthed wasn't really yours, or put a star on Jonah Goldberg that is now his Google picture of all things, a gold star like, you know, the Nazis used to do. Um, Those people are not okay. They're not okay. And Donald Trump should say, get out of my party. Go. I want nothing to do with you people. Now, Hillary, conversely, should also look at Black Lives Matter, okay, and say, uh-uh, your rhetoric is terrible. You bring problems to the table that, that with no solutions. Go away. We need to take both of those fringe elements and say, go away. You have no place in political discourse. None. And Hillary, and Hillary should return the money that she received from the Klan. She received uh, – she's the official uh, uh, nominee of the Klan. That's a fun to know fact. And she's the official nominee of the Communist Party. So that's a little problematic. You guys, mm-hmm. we have uh, so much more fun stuff to talk about. Uh, we we, we got we to gotta talk about the EpiPen. We got to talk about what happened to Ann Coulter on uh, Comedy Central. The EPA. We got to talk about the EPA. They just spilled again in the same river. I saw that. Again. Again, Again. they didn't clean up the first mess, for God's sake. No, and they are just all kinds of horrible chemicals and minerals are being released. Uh, uh, And they did it again. But you guys, we have uh, we have Michael Steele coming in uh, and I I love it. He's he's a a huge uh, star. It's a boon. It's a boon for the Loftus party. Uh, Just shows you we're growing in popularity. You can't stop the Loftus party. You can't uh, stop us. You can only hope to contain us. So we're going to join Michael Steele here. Welcome him to the show. Hello, Michael Steele. 
Thank you so much for being on the Loftus party, dude. I'm, I'm excited. Thank you very much for asking me on, man. We'll have some fun. I, you know, because you know, we may have to just make some shit up because there's nothing going on right now. So right, it's know. a it's very slow. It's a very <laughs> slow news day. It is. It is. Hey, I had I had the distinct pleasure of uh, filling in for you the other night on your fabulous XM show, uh, Steel and Unger. What happened there? Where were you, man? I was uh, probably in uh, Aspen. I think I was in Aspen for that trip. Yeah, I was in Colorado. Yeah. Just hanging out, or what was going on in Aspen? I did a dinner. Um, I did a, a, one of these. Uh, Corporate dinners where they wanted to get, you know, it's like the chief executives, so it's 30, 30 people and their spouses, and I uh, just kind of give them the what's going on uh, from, you know, the ground all the way up. So it's a lot okay. of fun. Okay, so, so then you can go, you can be on autopilot for this one, because of course, this is what everybody wants to know. Uh, what is going on with the Republican Party? What does the future hold? Or should we be terrified? Uh, I'm concerned. Uh, concerned. I mean, the question is whether or not there's going to be at the end of this process uh, a, pos a party that will not only be um, uh, strengthened and solid and, and grounded in something, but that it can actually work and operate as a governing party. In other words, it can lead the nation at some point in the future. Uh, I think a lot of what you've seen playing out at the national level is it's its inability to sort of grapple with and put forward a national vision. Uh, and largely that's due to the fact that on the ground, um, people uh, don't uh, have a real feel for the party anymore. I mean, that's within the party. And so you've got, you know, you've got this alt-right stuff. I have no idea what the hell that is. Um, you know, someone just makes stuff up. And, and that's the problem. Um, we just make a lot of stuff up. And instead of just sort of staying grounded in those core ideas that were part of the founding of the party. Yeah. See, now here's 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 my view of the alt right. Yes, there are some uh, racist knuckleheads uh, yep. that are that are part of the alt right. However, uh, there's people like me who I just I didn't even realize the alt right was like a thing. Then there was like a label to it. I'm just like, I want to have a good time. Uh, I'm down with uh, uh, capitalism. I think it helps more people than it hurts people. It's done more for poverty globally. And uh, I want big government out of my bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was that's the original, you know, stair step of the Republican Party. Those are the steps that we used to take because those are the values that we believe in. Um, it is, you know, I call myself a Lincoln Republican for a reason, and it's largely due to the fact that I believe, as I did as a young man, first deciding to join the party, um, that it's all about the individual rights. Uh, and the party has always stood for protecting that and defending that. And it wasn't just, oh, oh, let's just focus on the Second Amendment. Oh, let's just focus on abortion. It was about, it was about something bigger and more broad than one specific issue. It was about the idea that whether you're Michael Loftus or Michael Steele, uh, you can you can go about your business doing your thing, making your way. That's what the American dream is all about, making your own way um, yeah. with as little interference from the federal government, from state government um, and, and, and as little restrictions on those uh, liberties that you have as, as, as possible. And the party fought for that. And now we sort of got litmus tests and you know, this group, that group, and we sort of prepackaged everyone to the point where they don't want to play with us anymore. 
Yeah, and and I tell you what, like I'm not uh, afraid of a fair fight. You know, right. like I, I honestly think that the Republican Party has better ideas. We I have do. better solutions. Agreed. It just drives me crazy, and this is where I think this is where I think a lot of the anger comes from. And God bless the internet. It's like after the DNC leaks, we're just now seeing, and I think most Americans are seeing just just how left the 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 media is. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it is no, it, you know, the, the, our friends on the left they like to pretend that uh, there's something noble. Um, about you know how they they look at the world, and it probably is, I'm sure. But where I, where it breaks down for me is how it's covered by the press, and how you know the things that they talk about and espouse, um, you know, is fine, make it part of a legitimate debate. But whenever you raise up uh, a counter argument, you're you're immediately cast aside, and aspersions are, are are cast on you, and you're put in this box. I mean, I, I recall when Paul Ryan uh, was budget uh, committee chairman, and he had proposed a budget. Now, mind you, we hadn't had a budget that, that had gotten through the Congress in quite some time. So he was like, all right, we're going to try to do a budget. And because everybody on the left was screaming about Republicans not doing anything and producing anything. So he produced a budget. And immediately in producing the budget, they went out of their way to tear, to tear it down before they even saw what was in the budget. <laughs> Before they even saw what was in it, they just presumed that it's going to it's going to rip poor people to shred, it's going to empower the oligarchs, it's going to do all the. And I'm sitting there going, he hasn't even let the, you know the ink hasn't dried on the paper, and so yeah. you, you have this sense of you know by the by the people out there watching this that there is a there's an imbalance, and what you're seeing in this election, I think on both sides, whether you are you know part of that Bernie Sanders energy or the Donald Trump energy. You're seeing a lot of voters saying, you know, I'm just sick and tired of the BS and I want to take control of this process in some way. And I want to push through with the guy in this case, in this case, Donald Trump, that I think is going to best uh, represent breaking up this system. They don't, you know, I, I was just like I said, I was just out talking with a bunch of folks. And, you know, I would say that six out of 10 of the people in the room weren't feeling Donald Trump, but they got what was happening. They understood fundamentally that the system itself is broken. And this guy, for good or bad, uh, has been able to tap into that that negative energy in a way that people like, yeah, I like the idea that he can go to Washington and break up the system, whether it's dealing with the media, whether it's dealing with the political class, whatever it happens to be. Well, I tell you what, it is. I, I think things have gotten so twisted. Like literally, dude. Literally, yeah. when I was on when I was on Steel and Unger, I, I keep name dropping there. There was some so like this guy who, who who I guess is a journalist, and he's saying it's impossible to be objective. It's impossible. And like I, I now I see like so many journalists wrapping themselves up in that. Hey, this go round, it's impossible to be objective. And and that just staggers me. How it's impossible to say who, what, when, where, why? Yeah, that's impossible. Well, and and that's and that's the lie that's being exposed here because they know, you know, they're they're using they use Trump now more as an excuse for to display their own biases yeah. uh, more than anything else. I mean, before they had to couch it when they had a Romney, when they had these other folks. Uh, you know, whether it's McCain and so was, they had to be a little bit more careful. But again, it speaks to the point I was just saying. Donald Trump has so exposed the system 
you know, it is it is rigged, uh, and to use his word. And, and the way you know it's rigged is that you've got the Green Party, you've got the Libertarian Party, um, both candidates uh, who are running for office, the Libertarian Party especially, will be on the ballot in all 50 states. Um, and yet there's this arbitrary threshold that they have to meet, you know, that's set up by an arbitrary commission that has been empowered by both the Democrats and Republican parties. Um, and so the press gives cover to that to that lie. Um, yeah. They give cover to their own lie about their their biases. You know, I was watching some programs this morning and I was listening to um, one of my colleagues uh, at MSNBC and I was like, so are you a journalist now or are you giving me your personal opinion on this subject? Because I can't tell which is which, you know? Yeah. If you're sitting on the panel as a journalist, but you don't sound like someone who is looking at the what, when, where, why, and how. That's uh, what that's what I always want to do. Like, whenever I'm on Chris Matthews' show or somebody's show like that and they ask me a tough question, I'm going to be like, now, is that you asking me the question or is that, like, the Democratic <laughs> National uh, Committee asking me? I just, I just want to know who I'm answering here. Well, that's a good point because this morning I was sitting there going, could you just stop using the DNC talking points for a moment? I mean, really? I mean, come on, stop it. But that's, <laughs> but that's what we're up against. That's exactly what we're up against. I love it when you see all their tweets line up, right? Like yes. after the after the Republican uh, convention, like they all were like, if if the if if it was a drinking game and the word the trigger to do a shot, we'd all be hammered. It's like oh Donald God. Trump's dark convention, Republicans dark. It's dark. It's like wow, you guys just cut and pasted. You didn't even you didn't even come up with your own tweet. No, my favorite, my favorite, Michael. Well, so after that evening, I'm on I'm on set with Chris Matthews, Joy Joy and Reed, yeah. um, and and um, a few other folks, right? And yeah. they kept throwing around this dystopia, dystopia. This, I'm the dystopia. What the hell are you people talking about? Like <laughs> it's a dystopia. What dystopian convention? And this, you know, this was. I'm like, would you just break? Stop it. Just stop. Just being so damned uppity about it. And you know, yeah. I, I just had to call it out. I was like, dystopia. I was like, where's my dictionary? So I'm all set with my phone up. D. Yeah, it was. It was dystopia for the longest time. It's just like it's just the words they all decided to use. Do you ever just like want to just like gather yourself? Here's what here's what I think. Uh, I'm I'm about solutions. I got ahead of myself a little bit. Yeah. Here's what I think the Republican Party needs to do is we need to walk uh, ordinary citizens. Uh, through what Hillary's done. I saw a guy do it this morning. Uh, I can't remember what show. It might have been MSNBC. Uh, some conservative pundit said, you know, it's like uh, Hillary used her influence to get uranium to the Russians. The, Rus the Russians are going to sell it to Iran, and now Iran's going to get a nuke. Like, that's the kind of thing, just like one, two, three. Yeah. We have to drop the breadcrumbs. We do. And, and this is part of our problem is that and, and and I have to I have to chastise the the Trump campaign a bit on this um, because between the party and the campaign we have been woefully ineffective at doing exactly what you've just said dropping the breadcrumbs that lead people to the obvious conclusion um, and to the obvious answers 
It's not enough to say that Hillary Clinton is a liar. It's not enough to say that she's corrupt. It's not enough to say these things that they've been saying. You have to back it up. Why? Because the first thing, and this was part of the conversation this morning that I, and some of the shows I watched, the first thing they do is prove it. So they can go out and say that, you know, Donald Trump is this or the Republican Party is that. Just by virtue of saying it, it is true in their yeah. view. But if you come back and say, well, but Hillary Clinton is this, and this is why people don't trust her, well, what's the evidence of that? You know, um, she, you know, she's not, she's not uh, lying. She, she gave them everything she wanted, even, even the FBI director. And I'm like, you know, stop it. So, so the fact of the matter is we do have to put down those breadcrumbs that, that, that tell the full narrative of what has transpired, just as you just did. You know, she had a relationship. She was the one who wanted to do the Russian reset. That was yeah. her policy. That reset involved uh, developing, uh, taking the relationship with Russia uh, to the point where they have an agreement on, on, on uranium. That uranium is now being sold to, to Iran. Iran, meanwhile, had a relationship with, under, with the administration that allowed it to take that uranium and now do what they want to do with it. So you, you connect all those, those seemingly disparate points in a narrative that tells people, this is what you need to know because this is what happened. Yes, and I tell you what, so many people have just never heard that phrase. They've just never heard it put out in that way. And I don't think old Donald Trump's gonna do it. I, what I like about Donald is like, <laughs> You know, like when he says Pocahontas, it's it's a it's a short little uh, you know yeah. multi-syllabic word that tells a whole story. However, uh, most Americans have no idea. They have no idea what he's referring to with Pocahontas. They don't. They don't. And and that again is you know you gotta you gotta put the breadcrumbs down for folks um, yeah. a lot of times because the voters the voters don't look at this the way the the political professionals look at it or or see the the obvious um, a lot of times you got to point it out and say no this is the obvious thing you need to get and understand about this situation or why he says this um, yeah you know the other side of it though is um, you know right now we've sort of gotten off onto this whole race tangent which I find to be utterly disturbing on a, on a number of levels and for a number of reasons. You know, I think that one of my biggest concerns when it comes to the, the national conversation on race has been that we like continuing to lie to ourselves about where we actually are on issues of race. Um, and we sort of take comfort in the fact that Barack Obama is sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah. We, we take comfort in the fact that, you know, we're, we're so quick now to use PC terminology and pressure to call out those people from comedians to political pundits uh, to athletes who, quote, misspeak on race. But it's still none of that gets to the underlying core of racial attitudes that still persist in this country. And one of the disappointing things, and I've said this to Trump and the Trump campaign, is when, it, when you are asked about a David Duke, when you are asked about the KKK, when you're asked about these white supremacist organizations that for some reason seem to glom onto your message, it is incumbent on you in the first instance to, to shoot that down, to, to reject that, uh, if that's what you believe. Because yeah. if you don't, people are going to think 
you relish in that, you accept that. Uh, and and on on the left, uh, I'm so sick and tired of them playing the racial, the race baiting card the way they do. Everything is racist. Everything is racism uh, that that comes from anywhere close to the right. Uh, and and it's just really disturbing. Um, when I, you know, watch a Hillary Clinton go before my community and start affecting a Southern drawl, like we all speak Southern. Um, right. You and know, I, I'm just like hot sauce. I right. have hot sauce in my purse. Like, what the hell? You're from Illinois. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Stop it. You know, but it's just, but. But they can get to do that, you know. They can they can get up in a in a in a black church in the pulpit of a black church and start talking about if you you know if you support Republicans or Republicans this Republican y'all gonna be put back in chains. Thank yes. thank you, Joe Biden. You know, so you don't think that that's that's race, using civil rights and racial imagery to stoke a black audience by talking about y'all gonna be put back in chains. What it's crazy. And, and that's that's more of the anger of like white people like myself has. Like for so long, all the all the left has to do is just call uh, the Republican candidate a racist and they fold. And it was just so awesome to have Donald come back and go, she's a bigot. Right. She, her policies are bigot. It was so awesome. Hey, and but you saw how you saw how they they immediately went back on the hair. <laughs> He called Hillary Clinton a bigot. So they're looking at they're looking at it in terms of you know the way they they throw the charge at Republicans. But yes. Donald Trump took it one step further. He was like, no, no, no. Her policies are bigoted. Her policies are, are that she's advocating are the very same policies that resulted in the the dependency and the dependent class that that exists in some measure in the black community because of government, you know, government welfare programs that that penalized you for going out and getting a job and being successful. She seems to have forgotten the welfare reforms her own husband worked with re Republicans to get passed that 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 beat back on that dependency. And so he sort of calls her out in that way and everybody's like, "Oh my god, he can't use that term." Well, yeah, he can. He can. <laughs> he can. <laughs> he can, yeah, he can. It does, it, you know, it does a disservice to, and we were talking about this on the on the podcast last week, you know, when, when everybody gets called Hitler, you're not afraid of Hitler and Nazis anymore. Thank you, Michael. Thank and, you. And when you, and when you call everybody a racist, you're not concerned about racism anymore. Somebody put together a clip of just like the buzzwords from Hillary's alt-right speech. You know, they just did racist, racist, white power, white supremacy, David Duke, racist, racist. And it was hysterical. Yeah. I, I found myself just laughing at it. Now, I don't know if that's wonderful or if I need some serious counseling. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't need any serious counseling because I think you make the, for me, the most important point. When you when you take something as serious and important as race and racism in this country uh, and you dumb it down through the political process where it becomes a pejorative term that you throw around at your opponents politically, you take away the full impactful meaning of the word when there is true racism, 
when it actually happens. Yeah. And, and you blind people to seeing those moments when it actually happens. So the continual redlining of, of black neighborhoods by certain banks and bank policies is racism. That needs to be addressed. And it is something that you are blinded to because you no longer define racism as redlining a black neighborhood, meaning that you won't, that that neighborhood is not going to have the benefit of, of loans and, and financing uh, that would incentivize uh, risk takers, other homeowners, businesses from coming in and investing because they can't get the money. That yes, is not I'm so glad you went there because this is this is the one thing I wanted to touch on uh, before I let you go. I know you're crazy busy. Uh -huh. um, it's like, how do we get those community banks back up? Like, yeah. where are where are the community? Is that against the law now? Is that is that a, a dot frank thing? Like, how do you get com like banks in communities that need this the small business loans? Well, the problem, the problem is twofold. You don't have the small banks because you do have the whole Dodd-Frank and, and, and so the, the mega bank uh, creation uh, that has occurred in this country, which I find wholly ironic to hear Elizabeth Warren and others sort of going off on these banks the way they do. Uh, but they never talk about having those small, you know, what a small community bank really means to a community. Um, yeah. So that's one. Two, the other thing has to do with... Um, communities of color that are allowed to just fester for extended periods of time until the right combination of interest, financing, and uh, uh, what, uh, what I guess technology, et cetera, comes to the table. So that is what we call gentrification. And so you, you have like in my, where I grew up in Washington, DC, um, there were communities near and around my neighborhood that sat burnt out for 35 years after the riots in 1968 upon the death Holy of smoke. They never invested. But it wasn't until, and I remember going driving, this was maybe about seven years ago, I was driving along U Street and 14th Street, uh, which was a big area, a, a very popular area for the black community. And it was 11 o'clock at night, I was coming from Seoul, and I saw this white woman jogging with her dog at 11 o'clock at night in that neighborhood. I went, uh-oh, times have now changed. White folks have discovered this is a time to invest. So daddy, daddy has bought, bought a, a condo, and his daughter's now living in the neighborhood. And yeah. so you go and you look at that neighborhood seven years later, it is significantly more white, uh, significantly less black. And the concern that I have, often have with these things is gentrification is great, but gentrify the community when black folk, when black grandma is still there. Don't put black grandma out of her house because she's been yes. there 45, 50 years, but she can't afford to stay there now because of how the process unfolds. And it goes to your point about the banks and the inability of, of established community members uh, to qualify for the kinds of loans that they would need or the kinds of financing they would need to stay. So the only out for them is to sell. And they sell oftentimes at uh, you know, 60 cents, 70 cents on the dollar. Good Lord. And, and that property is flipped around, uh, made into a condo, uh, spruced up, Starbucks pops up in the neighborhood. Now, you mean to tell me black folks don't like to drink coffee? <laughs> so, so now all of a sudden Starbucks shows up? It's, and that's, that's what irritates the hell out of a lot of black folks when they look at what's happening in, in neighborhoods. And whether it's black leadership, white leadership, I just look at it as Democrat leadership because they're the only ones who've been running, running most metropolitan cities in this, in this country. 
um, have done very little to address that. They go along, watch these black families get pushed out. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody kind of goes, oh, this is great. Here we yeah. are. Yeah, we got we got to find a way to get that money uh, back in those neighborhoods and get the get the community banks back up and un- up and running. Well, let you go. I just have one more question. If I could, real quick on that point, it's real. Yes. It's, it's not simple, but it is straightforward. Invest in the black businesses that are there. Invest in the black businesses that want to come there. If you if if those businesses are able to get the kind of financing, capital, loans that they need to stay as the community changes around them, then then you'll have a way to do two things. One, establish the black businesses and, and keep them in place. But then those businesses are going to be investing in that bank with their money. They're going to go to those banks for the loans and those loans are available. to them. But right now, the way they look at it, they see those businesses as a greater risk than bringing a business, bringing another business, typically a white business from the outside into that community. And that's a part of the problem. We should start uh, an investment group that does that. We should do that. <laughs> we'll just do it. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. I'm just doing stuff now. I'm there. Count. I'm there. Let's talk seriously because there, there are ways to do it. And I know some brothers in some other cities that are trying to push this. When I was lieutenant governor of Maryland, I, we worked very hard to, with the banking community in the state to may help them recognize that these businesses are vital parts of any redevelopment, any gentrification program. You cannot push them out. You know what? I am not even kidding. I will help I will help you do that until the cows come home, man. That's like I'm done waiting. I'm done. Yeah, a lot of us are, trust me. <laughs> All righty. Hey, real quick, do you ever call up uh, Reince Priebus and just go, what the hell happened, guy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I may call him up some time time ago. So you really wanted this job that bad, huh? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah. I tell you, the best title I can well, have. I tell you what. I was going to say the what? best title I can have today is former. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right, there you go. Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Loftus Party today. Always <laughs> great hanging out with you. Gay, give Rick Unger my best, and everybody I, needs to listen to your show on XM. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Michael. I really appreciate it. All right, I'll talk to you soon. You got it. That was me and Michael Steele. Hard to believe, but believe it. The show is blowing up. The Loftus Party getting bigger and better every day. Uh, I like me, the Michael Steele. What'd you guys think of that? That was fantastic. Yeah, I like Michael. What's I think he's not, a realist. What's not to like? Like mm-hmm. that dude. Uh, I don't know what what the uh, what the future holds for him, but hopefully uh, more appearances on the Loftus Party and more appearances on the flip side. He's coming up on season three. Uh, we're going to bring it home here with some Michael Topias and some more news. Uh, so that's my little hint to you guys. If you have a big news story that you wanted to talk about, uh, try to fold it into the uh, into, into the, the news of the day. We can as do that, in, right? As oh, in yeah. Michael Topias? Yeah. If you got a Absolutely. Michael Topia, try to make it news centric. All right. Um, okay, Andrew, you, like. you got it. Go All for right. it. Okay. In Michael Topia, business people have to own their shit. I'm talking specifically about myelin and raising the prices of the EpiPen. If you're going to raise the price of the EpiPen because you feel that there's a free marketplace to do it and it's necessary, you have to own it and you're not allowed to go on to CNBC and say it's the government's problem and they have to figure it out. Okay. That was just disgusting, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's the problem. I just found this out today with the EpiPen. I'm, I got no problem 
uh, with people charging more for medications. However, if there's competition, there is no competition for the EpiPen. And what's uh, even worse about that, they actually went to Congress and got a law on the books that said every school needs to have the EpiPen on hand. It is a law. Mm-hmm. There, see, now here you go, Andrew. You're, you're, you're on board with the Loftus Party. That is the problem with big government. You've got uh, this girl. She's a senator's daughter. She's, uh, she's a liberal. She's down with Hillary Clinton. You make these little, it's crony capitalism. Hey, I've got an EpiPen. It's like NASA charging, you know, $20,000 for a hammer. You know, like, hey, I make this EpiPen. It costs, you know, $1,000 a pen now, and every school needs to buy one, and every plane needs to have one, and every restaurant, and that should be a government mandate. That's a big problem. But if well, you want to com- don't if you want to compete, if you want to compete with the EpiPen, it has to do exactly what the EpiPen does in the exact same fashion. And I like, guarantee no- you it's already in the works because epinephrine, the drug inside the EpiPen, that's already fair game. Anyone has access yeah. to it. So what people are going to yeah, do it's, now, it's- they're going to reverse engineer the EpiPen and the market's going to write itself. Yeah, it's the delivery system. It's that self-syringing uh, thing. Yep. And there are any number of those out on the market. They all work a little differently, but it's certainly not rocket science. All righty. Stacy, hit me with a Michaeltopia. In Michaeltopia, every college and university will adopt University of Chicago's speech policy. Amen. Because there are no safe spaces and there are no speech codes. The little darlings are going to have to hear dissenting opinions and deal with it. Woohoo! Woo-hoo! That's a great one. That's a great one. That's like the good old days. That's how freedom of speech is supposed to work. And speaking of freedom of speech, uh, in Michaeltopia, uh, some weirdo over at PJ Media needs to interview me. PJ Media just ran an article about how there's no right-leaning late-night comedies on TV. Hey, PJ Media, you have to at least try to use Google. Yep, the flip side is out there. We are coast-to-coast, U2America, Family Entertainment TV, independent television stations across the country. So don't tell me nobody's doing it. And yeah, in Michaeltopia, the flip side gets some fucking help from the right. It's it's tough wow. enough. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not even kidding now. It's like, stop bitching and moaning about the problem if you don't want to solve it. Uh, me and my merry little band of misfits for Hi. two seasons, now going on three seasons, are trying to make a difference. It's what I was just talking about with Michael Steele. I'm tired of these douchebags on the right who just want to sit around and not do anything but complain. Actions speak louder than words. Help me help you. Support the flip side. Watch it. DVR it. Uh, and support Talk this about show. It. The Loftus Party. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. In Michaeltopia, the EPA is not allowed to poison the same river twice. They have just poisoned another big hunk. I think it's the Colorado River. They're in there trying to clean up the spill they did last time, and they just spilled even – this is like a day after the Native Americans are, uh, started their lawsuit against the EPA for the previous spill. They did it again. It's not as bad as the last one they say, though. 
Well, how could it be? All the, <laughs> all the toxic shit came out in the first one. This is like when you pop a zit, right? You pop a zit and all that pus comes out. And then like an hour later, you're like, how'd that zit come back? The EPA is like just dumping their zit. The EPA is like government acne. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly what it is. And we need some uh, some libertarian right-wing Clearasil. <laughs> there you go. There you go. In Michaeltopia, the presidential candidate on the right would start talking about Article One of the Constitution and how they're going to let Congress start doing their job instead of all of these horrible federal agencies. Give me an example. Talk to me. The federal agencies can write a rule that has force of law, seriously, without ever going through Congress. That's not how the government was intended to work. Nobody can count. Nobody can count the federal agencies. Nobody can count. Nobody can give an accurate count of the federal agencies and what they actually do. But they get to write regulations, regulations. And then you get in trouble if you violate those regulations. That's all the EPA has is regulations. Okay, this is big. This is big. We got it. We got to No, mark that one down. That's that's worthy of a that's that's for the TV show. That is a great point. You can't just have a federal agency that just makes up a regulation and then they start enforcing it like a law. That's horrible. That's horrible. That's all the EPA does. That's all the EEOC does. That's all the DOE does. Boom. Oh, my Lord. We saved the best for last. That was thunder, Stacy. That was absolutely uh, liberty, love and thunder right there. Thank we got to wrap it up. Andrew, do you have one more? Yes, one more. Uh, in Michaeltopia, we remember that when we're talking about a Weezer song, we make sure that we look up the title of it because we were talking about Hash Pipe earlier. Yeah, that's the one. I got my Hash Pipe. In Michaeltopia, we celebrate Weezer. Weezer got a bad rap there for a long, long time. And I like me, the Weezer. I got I got no beef with them. I know they get a, they get a lot of hate from the uh, alternative music community, but... Uh, you know, hey, they, we they put up some good people. tunes. I'm sorry that they write a good hook, right? Some of their stuff is predictable. However, we don't hate Weezer uh, here at the Loftus Party. Oh my, um, go watch that's... their video for Keep Fishing. It's wonderful. It's one of my favorites. That's great. We're going to end it on that positive note. Uh, I want to thank uh, Stacy for joining us. I want to thank you, Andrew. I want to thank Michael Steele. Uh, uh, Michael Steele with a sex appeal being on the show today. It just keeps getting bigger. It just keeps getting better. Uh, make sure you go to the YouTube page, the the Flipside YouTube page. Actually, here's here I'm gonna I'm gonna save you a step. Go to theloftestparty.com. That's all you need to do. Theloftestparty.com. That's my little uh, pimping some liberty moment. Andrew, what do you got going on, buddy? Well, I got another episode of So Fresh, So Prince that just came out this week where uh, we get to talk about everything from uh, Barbara Streisand to uh, trained Broadway voiceman Brian Stokes Mitchell. Ooh. Wow. All right, Stacy, what do you got going on? Getting ready to start writing about business, industry, education, and labor for a certain conservative site. So there will be more to come on that. And Ooh, still, so sexy. So sexy. Still, I know. I know. It's almost like I can use my brains or something. Um, and then, of course, I'm still doing the Daily Dose for theloftestparty.com every day. And as it says today, eat a banana. You'll be happier. Absolutely. That loftestparty.com, we're going to have to start doing a countdown. Countdown to the new site. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Countdown to the new site. 
So you want to go look? You want to go look at it now? So you'll be uh, your socks will be blown off by the new one. You'll be um, appropriately amazed. I like the way this is going, you guys. I like this vibe. Normally, I, I frown upon the podcasts that have the guests on it, but I, I dug having Michael Steele. I like having you guys around. This is a good vibe. This is a good energy. Wonderful things are happening. Powerful forces are at work. Thanks for listening to The Loftus Party. Uh, we got more big news to share with you next week, so hang in there, and don't get your panties in a twist, uh, America. It's going to be okay. I love you. I'll see you later. <laughs>